Welcome to the From the Bench podcast presented by Projectile Warehouse. I'm your host, Taylor Weezy. My guest this episode is Stuart Petherbridge, a very accomplished fly and F-class shooter from WA. I reached out to Stuart after seeing photos online of his national record setting 500 meter fly shoot, and he was kind enough to jump on and tell me how he made it happen. If you don't know what fly shooting is, that's okay. Neither did I really before chatting to Stuart, so I hope you enjoy the episode and a different perspective on shooting and reloading. Hey, Stuart, it's Taylor Weezy here. How are you, mate? Good, mate. How's yourself? Yeah, good, dude. Mate, thanks so much for agreeing to take a call today. I really appreciate it. No, no dramas at all. That's awesome, man. Hey, so, yeah, I don't know too much about you. I obviously just saw that you shot, you know, that uh, absolute record-breaking score with the fly shoot, and I was like, I need to get in contact with this guy. I need to know what he's doing, how he does it, <laughs> and everything about his reloading. So, man, give us a... Give me a brief rundown on like who you are, how long you've been shooting, what disciplines you shoot, and uh, yeah, just uh, fill me in. Oh, right, I'll try and do that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, oh, I suppose I started shooting fly oh, about eight, nine years ago now. Yeah. Um, just started out of Perth at um, one of the clubs out here, Perth Field Rifle. Yeah. And um, it's only got a 400 metre range. I sort of used to, because oh, I'm off a farm originally, so I. Uh, come into the city because of work mm-hmm. and uh, I just got wanted to shoot guns again because I was getting bored and <laughs> uh, started down there just shooting rimfire again and then I saw they did uh, Bentrest fly shoot at 400 so I dragged out the old 243 with Vanguard and sort of went from there. So, that, that's all. And um, how long ago was that? Oh, it was about eight, nine years ago. Yeah, and so, like, like the rest of us, you've ended up spiralling into just it's become your <laughs> complete obsession. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It uh, started off, I modified the old Weatherby Vanguard for everything I possibly could. The only thing that was still stock on was the action. Mm. Um, I changed everything else. Um, even went to 6BR barrel on it after 243. Yep. And I, oh, probably about five, six years ago, I did my first nationals, went over to Canberra, um, just for the experience, really, with a few blokes from WA, because we'd never done it before. And the bug really bit then, I basically went out and ordered a custom rifle straight away. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't looked back since then. So. Oh, man, that's awesome. So how often are you shooting? Like, I haven't done any fly shooting. Are they running these, like, really regularly? How often are you out doing it? Uh, it depends what state it's in. Um, I know South Australia there has got a club there that's doing it, and they've actually got their state titles in a couple of weeks. Yep. Um, but for us in Perth here, um, we actually shoot every fortnight. Um yep. Yeah, so we've got an advantage over most of the other states. Um, most of the other guys shoot about once a month. Um, but, yeah, we every fortnight we're down to the club and we just have club shoots and got a couple of registered shoots per year, mm-hmm. um, which we can go for records and everything else like that. So, yes, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Well, well, for anyone listening that doesn't know and also like myself because I have no idea, what are <laughs> the rules? What's the rule set for fly shooting? Give me, give me a rundown on how, how it works. Right, uh, generally for club shoots, it's they're pretty relaxed with a lot of the rules. But when it comes to a registered shoot, um, there's actually well three classes. Um, you've got light gun, so it's basically your rifle that weighs under seventeen pound or seven point seven one one kilos. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You can have an, a bipod attached to a light gun, but that's got to be included in the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got heavy gun, which is over 17 pounds, um, which basically you have to manually lift it on and off the bench. Mm-hmm. So you can't have any help doing that. So there is some big heavy guns out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you've also got 200-yard rimfire. So, yeah, nice. Um, which is great fun. <laughs> yeah. Getting a little bullet blown around on the wind. It's yeah. great. Um, but yeah, same thing. You can have bipods in the rimfire, um, but the whole weight of the gun has to be under that uh, 17 pounds or 7.711 kilos. Yeah, right. Well, I think most of us PRS guys would have to be, we'd be falling into the heavy gun category because we load the guns up with that much weight to sort of, you know, manage recoil and things like that. Um, but yep. you're, you're shooting off of like F-class style front rests I saw. Is that, is that like, is your rest, is there rule sets around what you're allowed to use as a front and a rear rest? Um, there are rules in light gun, in heavy gun, oh, there are rules around heavy gun too, but in heavy gun you can use up to a four or five inch four end if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't be attached, so like a sled type system. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you've got, you can't have like, um, uh, what do you call it, adjusters on your rear bag as such to move it around. It's actually got to be sitting on, um, like the bench or you can have little spaces underneath to lift up the bag at the rear. Yep. But yeah, you can't be have little adjusters on it to change angles or anything like that. So it has to be driven with the front of the rifle. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but they're pretty much in a nutshell. So, yeah, F-class style bench rest, yeah. uh, front rest bags. So, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I'm assuming, like any of these shooting sports, you know, especially for you guys having to hit such a small target and center it up, like wind reading is probably where the matches are won and lost. Am I wrong? Uh, yes, it can be indeed. Um, so basically you can set up flags downrange. Um, so like myself and a few others, probably, probably from about 200 metres on, I have about three or four flags I can actually see in my scope um, as I'm looking down at the target at the other end. Um, closer than that, I'll stick them off to the side a little bit so you can see them with your other eye as yeah. you're looking down the scope. So you can. And that's cool. How long do you have to complete your course of fire? And do you get ciders or well, yeah, what's yeah, what's that? Yep. So basically, you'll have a ten minute warmer target at the start of a match. Um, so you can have unlimited ammo down at that. Now you've got your target at the end, but underneath that target, you've actually got a metal splash plate. Um, which is where you put your ciders onto. Um, when it actually gets into the shooting of a target, you only get three rounds for your cider plate underneath and only five rounds into your target. Now, you don't have to use your, all your ciders, um, and you can use your ciders whenever you want, but you can only put those five rounds into your target. Right. Um, any more than that, you'll lose your high score or something like that. <laughs> so you could potentially... Start off, start off with a round onto the side, onto the splash plate, and if you're happy with how it's looking, you know, far away, and then if you think that the wind may have picked up or dropped off, you can then have another one or two down on that splash plate before you've finished your five shots at the fly. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, nice. Right. How often does that happen? Is it pretty regular to play it that way, or more often than not, do you have your all three siders and then and then just you know run it fast and try and get your five five in that fly? Uh- um, it depends on the conditions. Um, like sometimes, yeah, I might put one down and it might hit exactly where I want and I can put the next 
five down in a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get used to doing it quickly after a while. Because I run a dual port action, so I can load from the left as a right bolt, right eject. So, yeah. um, but if the conditions change, um, yeah, you can either wait for the conditions to come back, and you get seven minutes um, on that target to have your round. So, you know, sometimes I've waited six and a half minutes for the wind to come back mm-hmm. and it hasn't. So you've got a couple of sliders left over. You can punch those down and then you've just got to go for it at the end. But, um, yeah, if it changes halfway through, you can stop, use another slider or two and then back up to your target. Yeah, that's so cool. And throughout the course of a of a club match or a, a national level match, how many times are you shooting for score throughout the day? Is it just the one time or do you do it multiple times throughout the day? Yeah, so you have five targets. You have a scoring target. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, basically, it depends on how many details you get of people. Um, like at the Nationals the other year, we had four details of, um, I think it was nearly 30 people each in each detail. So, yeah, we would shoot one, um, your seven minutes for that round, and then you'd sit around and wait till it was your turn again for your detail to come back up, and you would do that five times throughout yeah. the day. It makes a nice, nice long day. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's so cool, man. It's so interesting um, just the the level of precision and accuracy you guys are able to maintain at like the distance you're shooting at. So let's like let's talk about this group that got my attention. What did your your group that um, you shot for record, what is that? What did it measure at, at 500 metres? So at 500 metres centre to centre, it was um, 0.579 of an inch. Yeah, well, so wow. just man, that is amazing. Like, there's people that would be happy with that out of their rifle at 100 meters. Yeah, yep, correct. <laughs> and are you the only person on record so far in Australia to have landed all five of your shots at 500 meters touching that center fly? Uh, yes, from what we can gather, um, we're still trying to find out if it's been done before, but nobody knows about it like in modern times. Mm-hmm. It's been running for about 31 years now, so. Um, we're sort of been going back to see any of the old blokes if they know of it or anything like that. Um, if it's been done before, but at this stage, it doesn't look like at 500 meters, um, someone hit all five on the fly. That's so so good. Had you been close before? Like, had there been days where you were like, oh, I'm going to get this one day, or did you just have an absolute blinder of a day? Um, I've been close once before, um, which is actually my heavy gun. National record I shot a couple of years ago. Um, I got five rounds down in 0.847 of an inch, and I actually scored a 60.02, which I got two flies out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, the highest scoring target um, or for a national, for a record at the moment. Um, pity my one that I shot over club shoot won't actually count as a national record. Yeah, right. Um, because it has to be shot at a registered shoot to actually be classed as a record. But I still get bragging rights for it, so I'm yeah. pretty happy about it. No worries. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. And you, you, it gives you something to keep chasing too, like to be able to replicate that at a national event would be your next goal, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So we've got a state event this weekend, which is a registered shoot. So all going to well. Hopefully I can get close to that again, but. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Will you be running the <laughs> same gun, same load for this coming weekend as to what you shot that uh, group with? Yes, I will be. So I've um, yeah, just finished giving it a clean now, and uh, yeah, she's all ready to go for the uh, for the weekend. 
That's so, so good. Give us a bit of a rundown because I'm super curious as to what you're running um, components-wise and the rifle itself and then also a little bit about what reloading gear you what you run. Righto. Um, I've sort of learned over the years to cry once, mm-hmm. um, just like with anything that I do, mm-hmm. <laughs> all my hobbies over the years. But at the moment, um, when I did move from my old Weatherby Vanguard, I actually went out and bought a custom one. So I went for a um, dual port Stolly Panda action. Um, so I got that sent over from America. I got a Macmillan F class stock, um, and that's actually glued into the stock, so I can't remove the action at all on that. Um, it's running a two ounce dual trigger, and I've got a Krieger um, heavy varmint, uh, 28 inch, uh, one and seven and a half twist uh, Krieger barrel on there. Um, I'm also running a Eric Cortina tuner at the end. Um, I think a few of your F-Class and PRS guys will know about Eric Cortina and his tuners. Yeah, totally. so, the barrel tuner thing is a pretty hot topic. I've done a podcast on that, and my good mate BJ makes the uh, TMB, the tunable muzzle oh, yeah. brake. Um, so, yeah, that's a pretty pretty big talking point. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm also running a Night Force uh, competition scope. So that's a 15 by 55 power. Um, or a 52. Yep. Um, so basically, when there's no mirage around, I can see my bullet hole on paper at that 500 meters, um, which is pretty good. But I'm using Lapua Brass. Um, now I'm running a 6BRX, which is an improved version of a 6BR. It's basically the same as a Dasher. So except the Dasher's got a 40 degree shoulder. Um, I'm running the original 6B, uh, 6BR shoulder, which is a 30 degree shoulder. So same process, shoulders blowing forward about 100 thou. And, um, yeah, just to give you that bit extra case capacity with that little bit of extra speed over a 6BR. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using Berger 108 grain um, boat tiles, mm-hmm. the Tiger ones, and CCI 450 um, primers. Yep. And I'm actually using 2209 in this barrel. Um, last two barrels I've tried, I've tried 2209 instead of 2208, which most people use. That's a really uh, interesting choice because the common conception would be that 2209 would be too slow for that size of case, right? Yeah, that's right. So you do get a very, very full case. Um, so generally, I'm running 150 free ball on it, so I run a lot of free ball so you can keep that um, the uh, bullets out of that sort of neck junction, um, uh, shoulder junction area. Yeah. So I keep that forward. Um and that allows me to get up to around about 36 grains of 2209, which is starting to compress it at that load. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm using 35.1 grains. Um, that's my actual slower node, and I'm running that at 29.45 feet per second. That's still moving for such a little case, isn't it? That's, oh, that's yes. good yeah, speed. Yeah. Um, compare that to my – when I was running 2208, I was using about 32.5 grains. And I was getting 3,000 feet a second out of that. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah. yeah. I actually was running this one a little bit faster. I was up around 29.90, um, but I changed powder, so I redid my um, little bit of a quick load test. Yep. I've actually picked a smaller node on this new lot of powder. Mm-hmm. I was up around that 29.90 um, with the older stuff. Yep. And so, what was the decision to go to, to attempt to try the 2209 over the 2208, which is what you typically run in something like a BRX or a Dasher? 
Yeah, well, a lot of things. Um, most of it is from what the guys in the US were using in their dashes. There's a few blokes out there that were using the um, 2209, which is H4350. 4350. Yep. Yep. Now, then a few of the guys over east in their dashes and 6BRXs were also running the 2209. There wasn't too many people out there doing it. So I'm one of those blokes that like to try things for myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm always trying stuff, which is good and bad in some way. But <laughs> it's, yeah, so I tried it in that and I haven't looked back in it really. Um, it just comes down. When I do my get a new barrel, I'll do a bit of testing um, and I'll see how it goes. If it's not what I'm looking for, I will try a different powder or a different bullet and yep. see if I can get it to work a bit better. Um, but so far, the last couple of barrels, I've stuck with 2209. Yeah. Um, it hasn't really been any difference in barrel life between 2208 and 2209. Uh, I just like a fuller case. That's pretty much what it comes to. Yeah, it, so. make, it makes sense. Like It's always made sense in my head that if you can get that good case feel, you're eliminating that variable of you know the, the air gap in there and the powder lying differently depending how it's sort of stacked up. So it makes sense like from a... I don't know, I wouldn't say a scientific, well, I guess it is a scientific point of view that a good case fill is going to be a consistent consistent burn each time. Yep. Uh, my theory too. <laughs> yeah. And you've, you were, this, we had this quick chat. I almost don't know if I want to talk about this on the podcast because it's like trying to get bullets at the moment in Australia is, is hectic. Um, Q Store just did a drop the other day and I think the website crashed like a million times throughout the day and the phone lines were blocked. And <laughs> so it's it's pretty crazy. But we were talking, had a quick chat about those 108s, which don't get much of a look in sometimes in the 6 mil. People are tempted to go, go the 105 or the 109 hybrids or the VLDs, but the 108 boat tails seem to be a very consistent projectile, although you, you're giving up a little bit of BC. Um is that the bullet that you've run in that barrel the whole time or is that something you've switched to recently just because they were available? Um, it did come down to going back a couple of years ago. It was really hard to get bullets then too. Um, and I basically was getting running out of the 105 hybrids and there was plenty of 108s there and I sort of – I used them before years ago and I sort of went, oh, they work pretty well, but I just sort of went to the hybrids. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought I wouldn't mind giving them a go again. So I grabbed a whole heap and, yeah, I just sort of started using them again. Um, I actually went to 107 Sierras uh, for a little bit too to try those because they come out um, from Cleavers and all that. They had a big special on a couple of years ago. And so I ended up buying a heap of those too. Mm. Um, but this barrel here, um, I tried the 105s, the 107s and the 108s uh, when I was running the barrel in. And the 108s just had the advantage over the 105s and the 107s. Hmm. So I ended up sticking to it. And, um, yeah, it hasn't done me wrong yet, so I'll keep using them. Have you done the A-tip thing yet or you don't want to tempt yourself because of the cost on them? Um, yeah, pretty much the cost on those. They scare me. Yeah. I know you don't want <laughs> um, them to shoot well because then you're like, oh, man, I'd have to keep buying them. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've like everyone else, when things come up, I've pretty much got a good stock now of bullets for the next few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, but like I said, I'll get a new barrel. I'll try a different couple in there while I'm running the barreling. And just to, you'll see one that just sticks out better than the others. Yeah. So, I'm done with that one. It's cool so. to see, like, it was a bit of an eye-opener for me because I'm sort of newer to the sport. I've sort of, this is my first 
year of doing PRS and I've sort of only been reloading for under 12 months now, but I've been around, you know, guns my whole life and reloading my whole life, um, you know, yep. whether it was my dad doing it or family, friends or whatever. Um, but how much marketing hype is involved and how much like talking to someone like yourself or, you know, that old F-class guru or someone at a club that knows a lot, you can kind of find out things that the general media won't tell you or not that they won't tell you, but marketing will push a certain product and I've been fallen into, you know, I thought I was going to go to six, you know, I'm going to go to six BR potentially at the end of the year. And I just thought, oh, well, all the other PRS guys are running a 105 hybrid, a 109 hybrid or the 110A tips. And I just thought that that's sort of like your only option because that's sort of the way it's, it's marketed to you. But then you realize there's a lot of other options out there that maybe they're not getting talked about as much or advertised as well, but are going to be totally viable options and perhaps shoot better in your gun anyway. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, a lot of it is a bit of a market hype and some blokes, like I'm not saying that I know everything and I'm not the best at everything anyway, but I've had a bit of luck along the way and it, you know, you'd sort of pick up on what some people use. You, you know, you do a lot of reading, especially on forums, like the Accurate Shooter Forum. Um, they have a lot of useful information on there, some blokes there. Um, I tried to keep away from the Facebook stuff. Mm. Um, because you know you get every Tom, Dick, and Harry on there, and you might have one bloke who's got all the knowledge in the world, but a handful of blokes will jump on and just bag him out, and it's like, well, he's actually got more experience than what you guys do, and yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, there's certain ones out there that I'll listen to. Um, I try not to get in a hype of things. Um, otherwise, if I did that, I would have bought a six point five Creed more, I suppose. Yes, hey mate, <laughs> don't knock the six five Creed. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, no, I um, yeah, I knew the 108s for good after using them years and years ago. But yeah, like you said, not many people use them. Um, like the 109s, I still haven't used those yet. Um, I wouldn't mind trying some of those, but mm-hmm. um, I've got enough 105s and 108s and 107s here here to last me a while. So I'm sort of on the fence whether to use them or not. So yeah, mm. yeah, that's awesome, man. And do you know uh, at the moment what what you said you're running quite a long freeball. Is that something that you discuss with your your gunsmith and sort of sit down and go, you know, what's going to work for the the bullet I want to run or the, the, what I'm trying to do with the case here or the powder you're trying to use? Um, do you leave that up to him or is that something that you're involved in that conversation with him? Um, when I first started and I went to the 6BRX, um, I used my gunsmith, uh, Dave Kerr, here in Perth. Um, a lot of Bentress shooters will probably know the name. He's a Hall of Fame shooter in there. Um, but he, I just used his one first cause I wanted to try six BRX after trying six BR. Um, but after using that, um, I sort of over the years, I learned a bit more and I thought, oh yeah, I'll see what's happening there. And I went back to him, um, for the last couple of barrels and we ring the throat out a bit longer and try to make a few things. Um, and then just recently I actually bought my own, uh, like last year, I actually bought my own Rima. Um, got all the specs that I wanted uh, just through trial and error over those years mm. and yeah, ordered my own Rima from the US and got that sent over. So now I've got my, whenever I need one done, I can just give my Rima to the gunsmith and away he goes. And then you can keep running that same brass and it's all everything's just running as was the last barrel, really. Pretty much. Um, running my own brass, that's another thing. Um, between barrels, I usually use uh, 100 cases. Mm-hmm. And I only use those for that one barrel, and then I will 
chuck them out after that one barrel. Right, and so, so then get, you start with a fresh lot of, I guess you're fire forming anyway, aren't you? So Yeah, that's right. So um, I used to fire form too, um, but then I had an incident where I actually, one of the primers blew, and it actually uh, broke my dual trigger. Um, so I actually went back to hydro forming, so, which is another way of doing it. Um, and I did some testing. Um, like fire forming's great. I had no traumas at all with it, um, except for the blue primer and bugging my trigger. Now, yeah. I couldn't get the part for my trigger, and I needed a trigger ASAP, so it cost me another $400 for a new trigger. Yeah, right. um, but, yeah, so I went back to hydro forming, which um, I don't know if the guys know, but you actually fill a case up with water, uh, put it in a special dye, and you give it a hit with a hammer, um, like a plunger on top, and it actually pushes the shoulder forward. Um, into your uh, die that yeah. you're using. You then full length your die, um, so it pushes that shoulder back, and then you can actually load that in your um, in my 6BRX. Um, now, what I found with testing on that, I actually had a known load a few years ago, which was shooting great. Um, I fire formed another, I mean, hydro formed another 50 cases. I used that known load and shot it in a match, and it shot perfect. Um, so even though I still had to fire it to round those shoulders out and uh, square the shoulders up and stuff like that, it's still shot excellent. So I actually do a quick, when I get a new barrel um, and I've got those 100 cases, um, while I'm running that barrel in, I'll actually do a quick load test um, while I'm actually doing that. Um, so it kills two birds in one stone to mm-hmm. see whereabouts it likes it. Um, obviously, after about 100 to 150 rounds, that barrel would have finished speeding up, so I may need to tweak it a little bit after that. But... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, once that's done, so it kills two birds in one stone. You're not wasting barrel life. Yeah, man, yeah. that's so interesting. And the hydroforming thing, something you're able to do yourself. It's that you're not getting them sent off somewhere to have them hydroformed. You're doing that all yourself at home. Yeah, all myself at home. Um, I bought a wooden hydroforming kit um, years ago. Um, I've done probably about four barrels on it now, so I've probably done a good five, six hundred cases over that time. Um, when I first started. Obviously, I used to hydroform about 200 cases. And over the time, I realized, well, I don't need 200 cases. I only need 100. <laughs> um, the most I'll shoot at a big match because you've got light gun and heavy gun. You'll shoot 40 rounds um, on your target for the actual comp. And then that leaves you another 10 rounds for the, say, warmer target or something like that. So I went, well, there's no point making extra if I don't need it. And yeah, because after the 20 reloads, um, there's 2,000 rounds. I'll ditch those cases and, um, yeah, start on new ones. What are you doing with your brass when you're done? Could I be like, hey, mate, I want to I shoot BRX. Can I buy it off you? <laughs> yeah, that's no dramas. Um, yeah, it still go well. So yeah. um, I'm actually trialling something at the moment. I'm what you probably call a lazy reloader. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like this. I we did talk about a, this briefly. Yeah. I'm, I'm keen to hear the lazy side of your reload. <laughs> I try to do as least as possible um, with my – yeah, like I used to anneal every three to four firings, like sort of everybody does, because that's what you thought needed to be done. Um, then I read up on a bloke over in the US who set a record in um, the 600-yard bench rest um, stuff, basically. Um, over oh, so many rounds, um, he had an aggregate that was less than two inches over that time. And when I was reading his story, it actually was very similar to what I do. So he doesn't clean his brass. I used to clean my brass. Um, 
I used to even get the stainless steel tumbler out and do it, but then I found when I was doing stainless steel wet tumbling, it cleans your cases way too much, especially your neck. It takes all the carbon out of the neck. Mm-hmm. So when you go to seat a bullet, I was getting inconsistent seating pressures on my um, gauge, and that would then translate downrange at my target. I was getting mm-hmm. the accuracy just wasn't there. Um, I went back to stop cleaning. Um, so basically when I shoot a bit of brass now, once I want to full length size it, I'll wipe it the outside down with a rag, put some lube on it, I'll full length size it, take it out, wipe the lube off, I'll manually clean the primer pocket mm-hmm. and I've got an old brush, um, old cleaning brush and I'll just in and out of the neck once like that and that's it. Yeah. Um, these cases that I shot that um, target with, um, I haven't annealed these for 11 reloads now. Um, now, 6BRX, 6BR, Dasher, the cases don't really move a hell of a lot compared to some of your bigger calibers. Um, I'm only bumping the shoulders back about two or three thou, and I'm only running two thou neck tension on it, so I'm not overworking the brass at all. Um, and, yeah, it seems to be going great still. Um, now, like I said, I'm just trialling this one because I'm a trier. And I saw this other bloke didn't down nearly his brass, and so I went, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And so far, it's been going great. Um, I haven't had any skit necks. I haven't, haven't had anything. So, yeah. And you're, I guess, for like what you're doing, you're like you said, you're shooting you're shooting those rounds, only those 40 or whatever, or that 100 out, and then you, you keep that same lot. I guess I think yep. the kneeling thing probably comes in, you know, if we're shooting with the PRS stuff, such bigger round counts. You're doing 200 rounds in a national weekend. So it makes it a little bit harder, like to lot your brass up, because you've kind of got some that's once fired, some that's maybe three or four times fired, and so I think the whole annealing thing plays a part there, where you're kind of maybe getting all that neck tension and everything set back to a, you know, you can throw all of the lots in together. Um, yeah. Have you noticed a difference with your seating force um, from a, a piece that's once fired through to a piece that's Ten times fired. Whether if you see the projectile in those two cases next to each other, is there a different seating force for those two? Yeah, over the time, because um, when I first started this batch, I was running one thousand neck tension, um, and then after a while, um, obviously you can sort of see it on your force gauge. It was getting less and less tension, I suppose, the spring back in the brass and all that sort of stuff. So when I redid my powder on this barrel, because I'd shot about a thousand rounds down it when I ran out of the other powder. I actually bumped up the seating um, the neck tension, so I went up to 2,000. And, um, yeah, that's just sort of brought it back a little bit tighter than what it was getting. That's allowing so, for that spring back. So you, you've just yeah. dropped, dropped the smaller bushing in. Is that is that how you've done it? Yeah, that's how I've done it. Yep. So, Do you then set final neck tension with a mandrel or don't worry about it? No, I don't worry because I actually turn my necks. Um, okay. I run a 270 um, neck in my um, chamber, so I've actually got to turn the pool brass because – was it 272 was a no-turn neck. Um, so I'm running uh, a loaded round of 267. So I've got like 3,000 total clearance between that and my neck. So, yeah, I've, um, I have turn my neck, so I don't run a mandrel. If I wasn't turning necks, I would run a mandrel down it so yep. to get my final neck tension. Uh, yeah. Do you – well, you would know what – how far is that bullet jumping at the moment? What do you jump? Do you jam to uh... – uh, um, This is actually the first barrel that loves a jam. Yeah. Um, normally most of mine, when I was using the 105 hybrids, um, eight thou to 12 thou jump, um, 
one barrel was eight thou and another barrel was twelve thou jump. When I was running the one oh seven Sierras that liked uh twenty thou jump. This barrel here, um when I was using the other powder and stuff, I was running a twelve thou jam. When I redid my testing, um I actually went a little bit further and I'm actually running a twenty four thou jam at the moment. So um yeah, hopefully I don't need to Pull, a, pull, pull a case out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, that's one little thing that you've got to do, but it's, yeah, like I said, it was just shooting its lights out at that, so I just went, no, nah, I'm going to keep it there and I'm going to give it a run. Yeah, so, and, and what was your load, div- like, is this the first time you've had an EC tuner on this barrel, or have you been running the barrel tuner thing for a little while? No, this is the second barrel I've been running on the EC tuner. Um, I gave it a go last barrel, and I had pretty good success with it. Um, it doesn't make your gun shoots smaller, but it sort of makes the node wider. Yeah. Um, if you're shooting factory ammo, yes, you can tune that to shoot that factory ammo as best it can. Um, so when I'm loading this one, I will screw it all the way down till it stops. Um, I'll do my powder and then seeding, um, and then I'll just fine-tune the powder after I've got my seeding again. Uh, once I've done that, I'll then start turning my tuner. Um, so I'll set it up at about 100 metres. Um, I'll shoot three rounds downrange at my. I'll sort of do a you know line straight across so I can see what it's doing. And I'll shoot three rounds down. I'll then turn it from zero to say number two. I'll shoot another three, turn it to four, another three, turn it to six, and then I'll go like that. Now basically, what I'm looking for is um, two positions, say position two and four, that are very, very small, and they're both hitting in the same line. Mm-hmm. So once I've found that, I'll set it to position, say, three, and I'll leave the gun at that. Yep. Um, so it just sort of sits right in the middle of it. So if the temperature or the loading's just slightly out or the um, seating depth and the lands are worn a little bit, it'll keep it in that little sweet spot a bit longer. Yep. Um, if I do get down to a range and I'm getting wild vert, I might twist it um, you know, one notch either way to see if I can reduce that vert. Um, but I don't go mad on them because, yeah, the smaller you move them, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked about that a lot with BJ, the the owner of Strike Without Warning with his TMB. We talked about how it does increase that that node, makes it a little bit wider because you're slowing the end of the barrel down because you've got a little bit of weight out there. Um, and I've even noticed that with – I mean, I haven't done any – any strict research to back it up but i feel like the best groups i've shot at 100 with my gun have always been when i've had my magneto speed strapped to my barrel um yeah and- the, if that's the case that's where i come down where your load's not tuned properly yeah um that's you know if you're strapping something on and it becomes better well you've just added a bit of weight onto that barrel it's changed the harmonics of the barrel so that's why we do our load testing just try and find that perfect spot on the harmonics of the barrel where it comes out, mm-hmm. uh, it will hit the same hole further down range. So if you strap something on and it gets better, well, then I that's, to me... Needs returning. Needs a little bit more tweaking on the tune. Yep. So, I would yeah. not disagree with you one bit there, mate. There is plenty for <laughs> me to learn in this. It's it's done what it needs to do for, you know, hitting steel out to 500 and further just playing, and that, playing around. But, I mean, for, for your game, it uh, you would not have settled for... Sort of, you know, what I've settled for, I guess. Yeah, that's right. So when I'm doing load testing, like this barrel here, when I finished my load testing, I was shooting groups. Um, 
well, when I was playing with my tuna at 100, I was down under, you know, 0.02 of an inch. Um, I've got three groups here, which are like, you know, 0.187, 0.195, and then 0.115. Wow. So, um, you know, if I was using a barrel, like, say, a hunting barrel, um, which to me, that's where I class the PRS barrels in. Yep. If you can get that under half an inch at 100, you know, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, like mine, if I, this barrel here, it shoots that well. Um, now, if that opened up to, say, 0.4 of an inch at 100, that barrel to me is toast. Um, that's now going to become a hunting barrel or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's lost its edge for bench rest because we're trying to shoot such small groups, um, you know, over those distances. Once you start opening up, you're just not competitive for such. And how so, far will you hunt to try and get a barrel to come back? So how far, like, let, like your current load, you're saying you you jammed, what you said, 24th hour. Um, yep. Say it starts opening up, you've played with the barrel tuner and it's it's still not back to where you want it. How far are you willing to go as far as like, well, look, let's do another jump test and test it all the way out to a hundred thou jump and just start to see if there's another node somewhere else. How how far do you go to save that barrel or is it pretty much rip it off when you see that things have changed? So normally with seeding, um, once I find that seeding, I'll actually chase the land out as the barrel wears. So every when it's new, um, it'll move fairly quickly when it's brand new because you're getting all those machine marks down. Yeah. Um, but once you've done about sort of, you know, a couple of hundred, it won't really move much until sort of around that eight to 100 rounds down the barrel. Now, this all, is all dependent on, you know, how big a cannon you're using and all the rest of it. <laughs> so once I find it, I'll actually chase the lands out. Um, yes, there are, you know, like Eric Cortina, don't chase the lands. They jam their bullet. they got to learn a special way. Now, I want to try that way, mm-hmm. but this is working on this barrel for me, so I am keep using it until I run this barrel out, and then I might try his way. Um, but I've had had instances where, like the barrel before this one, um, actually two barrels before, where I shot the other national record, um, at about a thousand rounds, it was about 1100 rounds, 1200, it actually went off. It just wasn't shooting as small as it was. Like, you know, I went from one to two inch groups at 500 out to sort of two to three, you know, an occasional four. In good conditions. Um, when it's windy, sometimes you just miss a call and you can have that one stray bullet go out. But I then got a – it was just happened to be I got a lab radar about that time and I put it down there and I actually lost 70 feet per second um, from my original load that I did when I first got it. So for shits and giggles, I thought, well, I'm going to try something and I actually bumped up the powder in it. So I went up um, in point. Zero two grains um, or point two grains, and just got it up there. And then when it got back up to around that twenty nine ninety feet per second, which was my original load, it just shrunk back down again. Yeah, and it sort of surprised me in a way because I hadn't really heard anything about it or anything like that. Anyway, I did that. I kept my seating depth as it was, as I followed the lands out as they wore, and yeah, it was at about fifteen sixteen hundred rounds on the barrel. I shot that. 60.02 um, in 0.847 of an inch, um, which sort of went, wow, it still does work. Yeah. <laughs> and so now at about a 1,000 rounds of my um, BRX, I will actually retune my gun anyway. I'll 
put the lab radar down um, and I'll just add a little bit more powder and I'll just see where it lights it. The only reason I did seeding again, this one, is because I changed the whole batch of powder. Yeah. Um, normally I ran out of my four kilo lot that had gone through me, I think, a couple of barrels. So, yeah, it was time to redo it and I thought, oh, shits and giggles, I might just go jam it a bit more and see what happens because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't impressed where it was in the original powder because it was running, what, about 12 cow jam and it just wasn't as good. So I went a little bit further and it just, yeah, just shrunk right down. So a lot, a yep. lot of that sounds like it's coming down to instinct too. Like you've been shooting for so long and, and you've sort of so involved in, in this sport that you kind of, you just get a feeling when you go, no, I know this gun's got more in it. Yeah, and I put that down to I'm not chopping and changing calibers like I used to do. Um, when I first started, you know, I started with the 243. I then went 6BR. I then jumped to the BRX. I then went and tried a 6BRA because everyone was going on about those. Um, you know, I went two barrels in 6BRA and I just didn't have or didn't like it as much as the BRX. So I actually went back to it. And I just remember like reading off a bloke, he just he stays with one caliber. And that way you get to learn that caliber inside and out. Um, when you're changing everything all the time, you know, you sort of, it, it, every time you change a caliber, you got to learn something new. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're not all the same as such. So, yeah, just come down to what I did over time, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so what about uh, reloading gear? I'm keen, keen to hear what, pre- <laughs> what press you run or presses you run and uh, how you throw powder. Right, hey. Well, when I eventually started out was the old Lee press and uh, the old Hornady digital scales, which I soon learned pretty quickly that they're right for hunting, but that's about it. Um, so I sort of upscaled over the years um, fairly quickly for presses. Um, so I went to a Forrester Coax press about, oh, geez, it would be about seven, eight years ago when I first started um, after I realised that what I'm using Basically, it wasn't up to scratch. So I've been using this press now for about, yeah, probably about eight years or something now. Um, yeah. And it's still good, so the old Forrester Coax. Yeah. Um, now, I did upgrade back in the day to a Charge Master 1500. Um, but then I sort of was looking at a few things, and things just weren't quite right sometimes. So just, you know, even though I was saying it was giving me 30 grains, I'm going, I don't think it is. So I actually... Bought a set of RCBS 505 uh, beam scales. So I'd trickle up on the Charge Master or dispense on that, and then I'd put it on the beam scale, and then I'd just trickle up to what I got. So after doing that for a little while, which worked a lot better than just using the Charge Master, I actually splashed out and went and bought the uh, KNN sort of um, what, FX 120. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good <laughs> Yeah, and the auto trickler. Um, so I bought those, and I then went and checked my Charge Master 1500, and I found out that I was getting a swing of about uh, 0.7 of a grain plus and minus, so about 1.4 grains difference, even though the screen was saying it was reading 30.00. So, yeah. So, I so went, that's, well, a, that's that, an issue with this, you know, the scale yeah. in the the scale's not basically able to to keep to measure down enough to be able to, to get the precision that you're looking for, isn't it? Like the scale yeah, in, in just, the Charge Master. Yeah, it was just sort of in and out, and yeah, you know, even though it was saying it was reading what it was, and no matter how many times you calibrated it and did everything, it was just sort of 
like drift a bit in a way, but it would still read what it was. So yeah, that was a big eye opener. So then I just used the um, like a little powder scoop, and I'd put in it was a half a teaspoon scoop. I'd put that into the pan and put on the and then let the trickler do it up. Now just recently, I actually finally bit the bullet because I'm getting too lazy again, and I actually bought the auto thrower that goes on top of it. So now I've got the full setup there, which saves a hell of a lot of time. <laughs> Mate, I set I set my auto trickler up on my A and D scales two nights ago. I've been waiting yep. for it to come out of Canada and finally got it. And oh man, I'm in love. I now want to throw powder. Like I'm now excited. I'm like, oh, I can't. It's so yeah. fun watching it just hit the same number every time. You're like, this is this is amazing. Yeah, you 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 at the most you're you know sort of one kernel out of powder, which I don't care. It's yeah. going in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Girl, it's not going to make that much of a difference. Um, but, yeah, it's a great machine. I love using it. Um, but then I also use a K&N um, Arbor Press. Yeah. And I use the Wilson um, – Inline seating uh, dies? Inline dies, yeah, inline yeah. seating dies. So for my bushing dies, I use full-length bushing dies. Um, I actually got a couple of them. Um, I was using my Widen full-length um, bushing die. I've been using that for years and years. Um, but recently, I just bought the Wilson um, full-length bushing die. Yeah. So I've actually been giving that a go. And that's, um, well, yeah, the first test of doing it is when I shot that target. So, yeah. so it's, it's obviously <laughs> running well. Coincidence or what? I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I only bumped my shoulders back about yeah, two or three thousand. Um, I used, I was doing a little bit less. I was doing sort of one to two, but I actually just recently when I got the Wilson one, I thought, no, I'm going to give it a little bit more. So I went two to three and yeah, haven't noticed any difference at all. Yeah. So. If, why not? You're buying yourself some sort of reliability there as far as, you know, efficiency of how, how it feeds and stuff. So if it's still going to shoot small, why not have that, the bigger bump? Yeah. So, um, it's still not overworking the brass, um, you know, bumping them back to semi-spec and all that sort of stuff or say over fourth hour, well then yeah, you start to work the brass a bit more, but um, yeah, we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. Are you <laughs> running, months. with the bushings, are you concerned about running one of those type, like tin bushings or just the normal normal steel ones or are you are you got a preference either way? Um, I actually get my bushings off my gunsmith. He actually gets his made um, over east and sent over. Um, they're like a carbide thing or something. Yep. Um, I can't yeah, he just gets them made from a blokey that he that he uses. So, um, but I have used the Reading ones, um, both the what the orange coloured looking ones, yeah, and the other ones. Yeah, um, I've used both of those, and I haven't had any dramas with those either. So, um, but yeah, I only use the other ones because I could get them then and there um, off the gunsmith, and I just haven't used anything else. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. So besides the BRX and the the fly shooting stuff, are you reloading for any hunting? Do you do any hunting as well, or any other disciplines? Yeah. Um, being a cocky son from uh, sort of out Arrogant, um, no man, we used to have a farm and that out there. Um, my sister ended up marrying the neighbour down the road, so I still head back there um, and go out shooting. So I take my two four three out there. Mm-hmm. So my little. Weatherby Vanguard that I converted to 6BR, I actually converted back to 243. Yeah. Um, I've left pretty much everything on it, so it's running an um, uh, XLR industry chassis um, with their five-round AI mag coming out of it. Um, but I've got a one of my old barrels, so I've cut it back down to 26 inches. It's a heavy varmint Krieger 1 and 8 twist 
barrel. <laughs> so it punches out my little 87 grain VMAXs. Um, you know, I'm shooting, you know, 0.3 inch groups at 100 with it. So um, I thought that'll do. And I'm not going to get too much into it. <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I was doing load testing, I thought, yeah, that'll do. Um, using 2208 on it, because that's what I had, because I was running that in my um, BR, uh, BR at the time. So um, I'm still running that in there, but I've got plenty of 2209 now, so I'm thinking about changing back to that. But the 2208's working fine too. I'm not complaining. Yeah. So. Are you seeing big variances in lot to lot? I, I haven't done huge like, – I've changed lots maybe – twice uh, on this barrel and sort of since I've been reloading two or three times and have seen a little bit of a difference. What difference are you seeing batch to batch with the powder? Yeah, I get little differences. Um, they're not huge. Um, like I was told with this um, new powder that I've got, the 2219, because I was at the BMI stuff or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, they, I heard off a few of the F-Class guys that it was, um, what do you call it? Uh, it was a lot faster than the old stuff. Um, but when I went and tested it, I didn't see that at all. I actually set everything up to because I heard it was faster. Um, so I reduced all my powder loads and started from there. But then when I got up to, you know, probably about half a grain off what I was normally running, I went, well, this is running exactly the same speed. It's probably well, maybe 10, 15 feet per second difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I just went, Righto. I'll yeah. just bump it back up. And so this powder here, yeah, there's probably what, about 0.2 of a grain difference in speed um, that I saw. Um, my 2208, I've still got plenty of the old stuff on that. So, oh, the BTI, that's it. Yeah. But, yeah. So, um, but yeah, like 2208, I've still got plenty of the old stuff. 2209, yeah, I'm running that now. So, like I said, a 0.2 of a grain maybe difference in speed. Yes, yeah, so it's which, never, never a huge yeah, swing. No, wasn't a huge swing. So, um, but I don't know if that's just because I'm using, you know, I don't use a lot of powder compared to most guys with their big cases. Yep. So, you know, I'm running what thirty five point one grains. So, whereas most guys with the bigger calibers, you use double that sometimes. Well, that, that's what it. That's what's been attracting me to wanting to go. The, the BR-based cartridge and in some capacity, whether it's BR or BRA or, you know, Dasher or whatever, is yep. from everything I've read about, it's the consistency is as far as temperature changes or lot-to-lot consistency changes in powder and all that where you don't see the differences as much. And I know with the 6.5 Creedmoor, it, it's pretty consistent, pretty reliable, but you do have to keep on it. Like you kind of – I'll do up a batch, they'll do up a load and then, you know, shoot a match and then maybe it's a couple of weeks before I shoot again and then shoot some more at a club match and then have to load a few more rounds to kind of make, you know, do with, um, you know, to make enough numbers to be able to shoot. And suddenly you sort of go, well, why is this batch that I've done now slightly different to the other batch? You sort of have to really keep on, you know, keep yep. an eye on things moving around. And I think the the BR-based stuff, that, that what's drawing me to that is that ability to kind of, Find a load and then just run it, and it's not. It's not gonna. You know, it's gonna. It's gonna run a lot more consistent across the season, as far as the year yeah. goes. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, you know, the BR. There's such a, an efficient case. You know, you're putting bugger or powder in. They're using one A white grains uh, projectile, and they're just consistent. They just work. Um, 
you know, you, for Bentrest top stuff, like a 6BR, you'll get 3,000 rounds out of a barrel. Um, yeah, right. For the improved version, so your BRAs, your BRXs and dashes, you'll get about 2,000 rounds out of that. Now, for PRS, you can pretty much double that, yeah. um, you know, for usable accuracy type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as you every now and then you might just check it and tweak it a little bit, you know, after a thousand rounds or something like that. Um, you know, I always believe in adjusting your seating depth all the time and following the lands out, which there's different ways of measuring that and everyone's got their own way. But as long as you do it consistently every time, mm. you're laughing. Um, you know, but uh, these are things you learn over time. It's yeah. just sort of what you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's about having that right. pro- having that process that works for you, and then that you know sticking to it. It sounds yeah. like it sounds like um, you know. Although we have just spoken about how consistent the BR based cartridges are, it sounds like for the game you're playing, it's part of the game to have to be re like readjusting and tinkering, and, and always just keeping an eye on it because you're running it. You know, it's it's kind of like F one racing versus just you know standard V8 racing or, you know, a bit yeah. of speedway or whatever, the, the the level of tinkering that they have to run to keep those cars at that level because they're, you know, the tolerances are so small is obviously going to be a lot more. And it sounds like from what I've been shooting, the PRS and the hunting stuff to what you're doing, you guys are, you know, another step again on just how much you're retuning and, and, and to the level you test before you're willing to take it to a comp. Yeah, and I sort of believe that in a way too. Like even with the F class, the F class, you know, they shoot for an accuracy of an X ring at whatever distance. Um, whereas Bentress guys are basically trying to shoot as small as they possibly can. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things. Um, I translate that over to my hunting stuff now. Um, so even like I won't get as anal with my hunting stuff. So for my two, four, three, um, and that, but. You, those processes that you use, you transfer them over to it. Um, so, like, even my load development and all that, I really put a fair bit into it um, with my hunting stuff still. But I might not go to the, you know, the tenth degree on it to make sure it's shooting as small as it possibly can. So, like, I sat these ones, my last lot of load testing, I did my 243. I always do my testing. I start at 10,000 jump um, and find my powder. I found my powder. And it was, you know, like I said, it was, you know, 0.3 of an inch at the 100. So yeah. I didn't bother doing city. It was just, well, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, whereas if it was my target stuff, well, then, yeah, I would then proceed to try and get that even smaller. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just one of those things. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see, like, I think you're probably the first bench rest guy that I've spoken to on the podcast, but I'm excited to see and, 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 um, learn more from bench rest shooters and F-class shooters and that as, you know, as my journey develops because like you are saying, it ups the the base level. Like if, if you're shooting PRS or you're hunting or whatever, yeah, you don't need that level of accuracy but it it would help, you know what I mean? Like and it would be it would be oh, nice yeah, if sure. you knew how to get it. So if you up that mm-hmm. base level of understanding and knowledge around, you know, sort of strive for that, and then, you know, you kind of elevate your game a little bit. Maybe you know, I'm not going to get there. I might not be at that point where I'm shooting those one-hole groups with my PRS rifle. But if that's what I'm striving for and I'm learning from people like you and other people that have, you know, gone to that level, it, it's only going to it's only gonna help everyone else underneath, you know, like it filters out. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody 
has got their own thing. Like I listen to some of the PRS guys too that do it. You can pick up information off so many people, like your F-class shooters, your bench rest, your PRS, um, even your small ball stuff, um, so like your rimfire guys. Mm. You can pick up so much information off them, how to shoot your gun, um, what to do, what not to do, you know, your reloading stuff, um, how to handle your gun. There's just a lot of blokes with a lot of information out there that, you know, they've got some really good stuff. you just got to filter out the crap in between yeah. um, from some of the other people, you know what I mean? They, and I'm, I'm the first one. I'm not, I'm not the be-all and best-all. Yes, I've had a bit of what well, I call it good luck, um, but I put the hours in to try and get there. Um, you know, I have days where I'll go down to the range and instead of shooting, you know, under two-inch, three-inch groups all day, I'll be shooting four or five um, just because I, you know, haven't read that wind properly yet. Wind's picked up just on that one bullet and it's made your little one-inch group turn into a four-inch group. Um, it does happen. Um, and the thing is, don't overcomplicate things. Um, a lot of blokes, I did it once upon a time. Um, I'd sit there and I'd do load testing in point one of a grain increments. And in the end, I end up doing my heading yeah. um, because it was too much information. And then... You know, you get guys that go out and they go, oh, I'll do a 10-shot load development, which they shoot it over a, a chronograph. And it's like, well, hang on. What's not to say that one of those rounds has got, say, a little bit more or a little bit less seating pressure, which will give you a different speed at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, or the powder's just quite not right because of the equipment that they're using. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just either put you out of a node, which mostly, or you've lucked it and actually picked a node. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I try to keep it as simple as I can, um, but when I do keep it simple, I try to keep it accurate as such. So yeah. So yeah. when when you did when you do that load development process and you go for your training, find finding your velocity, are you trying to find your like you're finding your velocity and also matching that up with something that's shooting consistent groups, or are you just looking at a consistent ES velocity number and then tuning seating depth? No, I'm actually um, I do speed and what it does on paper um you know necessarily your smallest es's and sd's doesn't necessarily mean it's the best group um on paper um so when i do mine i've done the overall charge weight stuff and i do ladder discs um either way has worked fine for me um an overall charge weight i'll do it like 300 meters yeah um do a ladder i'll do that at sort of 400 meters 500 um but I try and make sure that conditions are good. If I go down there and there's mirage or there's a little bit too much wind, I'll just pack up and go around, go yeah. home because I've done it before where I go, I've come all this way, I've got to shoot it. And you shoot it and it just does your head in because, you know, you're getting all this wrong information because, you know, the wind's gusty and um, the mirage is there and you're, you know, you're just dancing around in your scope. Yeah. And that's not going to do anything. Um, yeah. So basically, when I do my testing, um, I will actually look for what it does on paper, and I'll back that up with the actual figures of the um, lab radar on the side. Yeah. That way, you've got two bits of information there. Um, I'll also shoot over flags, so if anything changes, you can actually see it. Um, And that's whether I'm doing seeding depth test or um, powder. Um, But yeah, and you just sort of look for those groups. I'm preferring to go towards the ladder these days. So I'll shoot um, three rounds of each charge at the same aim point at, say, 400 metres. Um, 
and I'll record those, whether it's a video camera down the end so you can see what it's doing, um, or I'll colour the tips of the bullets in the front and you shoot them over a bit of white paper um, and then you can see what colours the actual when the bullet goes through the paper, it rubs off. Oh, dude, that's genius. I love that. That's so cool. So, yeah, it's, um, I'll actually do like a white piece of paper underneath and then I'll put another target over the top because sometimes the paper underneath actually gets more of the um, colour rubbed off on it than what the yep. top one does. Yeah. But it just sort of backs it up if, you know, you're sort of um and an hour. And, um, and then I'll just look for the aim at that same aim point and I'll shoot all those three rounds down at that one. I'll go to the next powder charge, shoot all those three down, um, the next one, the next one, and then you'll see on paper where things like to group. So I'm looking for basically, I don't care about the um, uh, how horizontal it is because that's seating depth. You can pull that in. I'm looking for the two no, oh, two lots of powder that's got the least amount of vert at, it, at that distance. Yeah. Um, and that's where my note is. I'll then transfer across all the lab radar results for the speeds. And you can generally pick out two or three nodes where things are, and then you back it up with what the speeds are doing. And then you just pick which one you want to try from then. You can pick two of them. You then go out um, and do, say, 10 rounds of each and just to see what it's actually doing. Um, see if one was a fluke and the other one might be good. Sweet, no worries, and then I'll take that load and I'll then start doing seating depth. So I might start at 21 jam, I'll work out to about 4 jam, and then I'll start from 4 jump and work back from to 21 jump in yep. about 4, four thousand increments. Yeah, right. So um, usually you'll find something in between there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not one, I haven't found one yet that you need all these big jumps, you know, because going from 10, 20, 30, um, you'll miss a note in there with yeah. what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking for the smallest possible stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, smaller stuff means you need small figures to actually keep it in that area. Yeah, totally. So it's a little bit more, but, you know, for my shooting, I use that smaller one. Maybe, you know, for the bigger stuff, I could go 10, 20, 30 on my rifle for hunting, and it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Just when, what it is on when the, you're trying so. to stack bullets in the same hole, <laughs> it's going to make a difference. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, when I tested this new lot of powder, you know, I had 400 metres there. I got two nodes which had – one had 0.7 of an inch vert and the other one had 0.9 of an inch vert. Um, and then when it come down to the figures on it, uh, what have we got? There was 10 feet per second difference between both nodes. Um, the – SDs were, you know, around three and a half, yep. sort of, and that they're both the same, but the slower node just had a little bit less vert. So I loaded ten rounds of each up and shot it, and you know, the low, slower node had less vert, so it was simple. Um, I went with that one, <laughs> and then I just adjusted my sitting again just to double check things. Yeah, so, and and how many rounds? On average, are you sort of are you putting in? Do you think until you sort of like, yep, that's my load that I'm going to take to the first match at least before I start playing with it again? Are you looking um, at? Can you? Yeah, that's, I do a quick one first of all, so I only do say because I know roughly that I'm going to be sort of that. Uh, I start about thirty four point say six, yep, and I work up to about thirty five point six. I know roughly I'm going to be somewhere in there. 
Um, and I do those at 0.2 grain increments. So what's that? There's 10 rounds. So there's three weeks. There's 30 rounds just there. Yeah. Um, I'll do that while I'm sort of fire-forming those cases. And it'll give me a rough idea whereabouts it likes it. Um, so then I'll keep shooting those cases. I'll do a bit of a quick, so I'll pick one of those nodes, whatever, just say it likes it roughly around 35.2. I'll load up that. I'll then do a quick seating depth test. So again, I use about three rounds each. Um, I'll do seating depth at 200 metres. Um, with these guns, doing it at 100, it's all locks, you know, you're shooting all one hole basically, and it's a bit hard to tell what the gun's actually doing. So if you stretch the distance out, it actually spreads the bullets out a little bit further and you can tell what it likes and what it doesn't like. Yep. So, um, but yeah, I'll shoot three rounds of each at seating and yeah, I'll start with a jam. Um, I'll then work off on a jump and I'll just see if I find something that is jamming and it works great, well then I'll just leave it at that. Yep. Um, you know, there's no need to go to a jump if it doesn't need to. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, most of my stuff is all like jump. I've only had this one barrel that's like a jam. Yeah. So it just comes down to what the barrel likes. Yeah. So. Oh man, that's super interesting. Um, you are you interested in ELR at all? Like, I'm, I'm with the consistency and the, you know, how much you're you know about reloading and how to tune a barrel. I'd be very interested to see you get into the ELR, like extreme long range game, and see what I you can do like with to. some of those big lathe turn projectiles. Yeah, yeah, that would be really nice to do. Um, that'll be, you know, it's a total different thing, um, different set of skills. And, uh, yeah, I like take my BRX out to F-Class sometimes too. And, you know, I don't get to do a lot of it, but when I do do it, I do enjoy it. Um, yeah. And that's out to 1,000 metres sort of thing? Yeah. So, and I take the little 6BRX out there and I have a, great old time with it and depending on the conditions when the wind comes in obviously i get blown around a lot more than the bigger calibers um but when you boot those blokes with your smaller caliber some of them don't like it <laughs> <laughs> so but uh ah that's what i built it for you know i built the brx just for that little bit extra speed so if i wanted to do the odd f class or something out to a thousand i had that little bit extra there to buck that wind mm-hmm. um but yeah like you said the extreme long range stuff i would love to do it one day but like anything, time and money is one of those big factors. Yeah. And we'll keep the missus happy sometimes. I know, right? <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Yeah. That's right. And you yeah. sound like the kind of person that wouldn't just be able to half ass it, you know, you you'd be you'd be going all in and then you'd have to make that decision. It's like, oh well, do I do I drop off the fly shooting thing and just go all out into this ELR game or try and do both, you know? Yeah, and that's why I really haven't shot much F class either, because I do enjoy it. Um it is a different Atmosphere like fly shooting in the bench rest, the guys there are fantastic. Um, no matter which club you go to or whatever, they most of them you ask a question, they'll bend over backwards to give you a hand. Yeah, um, you know, I've learned so much off the guys over east and stuff like that with the bench rest. When you go over for nationals, you just pick their brains, and the guys are quite willing to do it. Um, you go to some other stuff, um, <laughs> some of the F class stuff, yeah, and you get your guys that. You think you're pulling their teeth out or something like that, yeah. and they just don't want to, don't want to help you or don't want to give you any advice. And it's like, well, we're all in together, we're all here to have fun. So, but you know, a lot of banter goes on, yeah. which is good. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I've been getting absolute 
shit picked out of me for my target because it's turned up on a few places. Yeah. And the guys and the guys that I know from over east and on Facebook and that, they're quite willing to give me a dig about it. <laughs> so they go, they're going to love it when this target. podcast comes out and they're going to be like, we've never heard of this podcast. We don't have anything to do with this these PRS guys, but we're going to listen to this podcast and we're going to tease you about it nonstop. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, well, the guys are already talking about making mugs up or T-shirts with my face on it and the target, and I'm going, geez, God, That's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Dude, I, I really, really want to get to a fly shoot. Um, I potentially might get out to that state title that you're talking about here in South Australia. Um, when it comes up, even just for a look, even if I don't shoot or even if I just shoot some rimfire and then have a look at the centerfire boys. Um, yeah. I really want to do it because it looks fun and I I think you should really get out to a uh, PRS match, mate, even if you even if you try and borrow someone's PRS gun or something or just come and have a watch because like you're saying, the banter and the, the good community is what I'm experiencing in the PRS stuff as well. Um, yeah. And I just think it'd go, yeah, go hand in hand. I'm keen to see, you know what these flyboys are about and then it'd be cool for you to, to swap around and see what the PRS thing's about. Well, that's it. Um, yeah, once this COVID thing sort of settles down a bit and, you know, we can get away from that stuff and get back out to everything because, well, our nationals were supposed to have in a couple of weeks. That's been cancelled because of it. Um, I know the South Australians got their fly shoot state titles on the, I think it's around the 18th. Yeah. Um, I think um, 17th, 18th of June, uh, July. Um yeah, I haven't heard much about it at the moment because I know a lot of the blokes over east can't go to it. So, yeah, it's, you know, like even at WA ones, you know, we haven't got any bloke coming from over east because they, you know, everything's, we've got to quarantine for two weeks before we get here. So yeah. most people aren't going to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I wouldn't mind getting over to South Australia there doing a fly shoot and then, yeah, probably chuck the 243 in and come and do a bit of PRS. Yeah, yeah. man. The 243 would be awesome PRS rig. Come, uh, Come, yeah. come have no, a play no. with some steel. Shoot inside of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can only hope. But well, that's what I mean. I've, <laughs> I'm using a twelve by forty two by fifty six. I'm on two four three. So yeah. you know, night force one there because I've got an old NSX which I'm not going to get rid of. Um, yeah. And yeah, I use that for spotlighting off the back of the Ute. Yeah, it's a bit overkill, but <laughs> it takes a little bit longer sometimes to find your target. But it's the best scope. Yeah. So we work all right for the PRS, I reckon. Yeah, it would. It would. You guys would all be second focal plane, wouldn't you? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. No need for first or anything like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I guess we're, all, we're all running the front focal plane stuff because you know you have stages where it's a um like a no dial stage, and so you have targets at you know different distances, and you're not yep. allowed to touch your turrets, so you're not allowed to dial, so you have to use your you know, use your holdovers oh, okay. in your yep. reticle, and if um, yeah, if you're second focal plane, I guess you're going to have to be on that max magnification where that all those sub tensions line up, unless you can do some wizardry yeah. math in your brain and figure out what what it all is. Oh, yeah. No, that's too hard. <laughs> yeah, no, too. I think I'll just so we'll we'll find someone with a rifle, mate, and we'll just throw it at you. It'll be all set up. We'll say, hey, go shoot this off of that, and you'll be like, what? I have to shoot off of that wobbly platform that's held up by chains and string and straps and things. What? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I do that now. I sort of, when I go back home and I'll use someone else's well, brother-in-law's gun or something like that, and I go to pull the trigger on it, and I'm battling to pull the trigger because, you know, they're running two, three-pound bloody trigger weight, and I'm used to something that you can sneeze on, and it yeah. goes off. It's like, I'm pulling, but it's not going on. <laughs> oh, that's great. 
Um, so, I've got some questions for you before before I finish up. We'll, we'll start to wind it up because I know you've got yep. uh, reloading to get done before the weekend. But I'm going to ask you some personal stuff just about my what I'm thinking about doing for my build for next year and just see what, what tips you've got. Um, yep. I'm currently just shooting a factory-barreled Hauer 6.5 Creedmoor um, and it's performing perfectly for what I need to do for PRS stuff, even in national events and stuff. I don't feel like the gun's what's holding me back yet. It's obviously my skill set still. Um, I was thinking about going to the BR-based cartridges. Don't really want to fire form and do all that. I was thinking about just running a straight BR with a 28-inch barrel to get a bit of speed back. Um, yep. Yeah, with the, with something like 108s, whether they were Hornady's or Burgers or 105s, um, you think the BR's enough case to get to get them to sort of maybe 28, 28, 50 around that zone? Oh, a BR, 30 grains of 2208 and a, say, 105 grain. Yep. Um, on average, you're sitting around that 28, 50 feet per second out of a 28-inch barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a couple of ball terror barrels, so it comes out of it. Um, I was running 30.6 grains of 2208 in a 28-inch barrel, running 105 hybrids, and I was getting... Uh, 29.30 feet per second out of that one. But then I get another barrel and I was running uh, 29.8 grains. Yep. The same bullet and I was getting um, uh, 28.40 feet per second. So it comes down to the barrel and, you know, what it likes and stuff like that. Um, But on average, a straight 6BR with a 105, about 30 grains, you're looking around 28.50 feet per second. Yep. So, you know, that's just general. Yeah, um, and it would push push something a little bit bigger if I went like the 108s, it would still just... Oh, 108s, you won't see much difference in speed between that and the 105. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah there's bugger all in it. You might actually need probably an extra couple of grains of powder, but yeah. um, like something I've learned over the time, everything's not about speed. Accuracy no. trumps speed any day of the week. Mate, totally um, agree with you. You know, I've... I used to sit there and I run these things at three thousand, a little bit over three thousand feet a second. I did because it was accurate. This barrel here, it likes now I've done this new lot of powder. It likes the lower node, so I'm quite happy to run it at twenty nine forty feet per second. No worries. Yeah. Um, and if it mean I had to run it slower, so be it. Yeah. I don't understand guys that make an improved version of a BR and then run it at BR speeds. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you're not going to shoot the speeds, just run a BR, yeah. Yeah, that's dead right. You you put yourself through all this extra hassle of fire-forming cases and doing all this extra stuff when you're going to run at BR speed. Yeah. It sort of defeats the purpose. And I think that's 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 been the case in recent times about what a a lot of people are thinking with the PRS stuff because we're shooting off of barricades and – you know, you got to spot your shots because you sort of, you know, off a wobbly position and you might, you get recoil, you might not see where your shot lands. People are bringing their speeds down, down, down anyway to manage, one, manage recoil, two, increase dwell time so the bullet's, you know, actually in the air for longer so you've got longer to pick up trace. Um, yep. So a lot of people, like you're saying, they were making dashes just because that's what everyone was running, but then they bring their speed right down to, you know, 28, 20, and you kind of go, well, no, let's just run straight BRs and save all that hassle, and that's kind of where I'm thinking. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. run it fast. My 6.5 Creedmoor with 140 ELDMs, I'm only running at 2690 to 2700 anyway. So yeah. we're, we're running stuff pretty slow yeah. in our game, and so I totally agree with you. Yeah, because that was one thing. The BR is the most easy and forgiving cartridge to run. 
it's just so easy to get a load for it. You know, 2208, you're going to be between 29.5 and, say, 30.5 grains. You're going to be in between there somewhere, um, more likely around that 30 grains, and it's just easy. Yeah. There's nothing to it. Um, the only thing with the BR is loading out of a magazine. You need to get the um, mag yeah, the kits. Mag kits, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, once you've done that, they're fine. Yeah. So, um, um, and so as far as action goes, I was really interested when you said you uh, you had the Weatherby Vanguard and you did everything to it because I've been thinking to myself, to save money and time and hassle, I've got the chassis with this Hauer in it and everything running anyway and the Hauer action, for people who don't know, it's Weatherby Vanguard's the same same yeah, action. Yeah. Um, I was just going to rebarrel and turn the, the Hauer into my 6BR and then maybe run another standard 6.5 Creedmoor factory barreled Hauer alongside it as a training gun. But then all my mates yep. are like, nah, mate, why would you do that? Like, get yourself a nice custom action, you know, save up a bit more and get a custom well, action. And I'm in two minds about whether it's worth – yeah, yeah what, what do you I, think? After, after doing both, like I worked up that Weatherby Vanguard. Yes, I did shoot some really good scores um, and I got some good groups out of it. As soon as I – like I learned, that was my training basis. So I'd spent a couple of years on that gun and actually learned everything from it, um, you know, as much as I could. Yeah. As soon as I went to that custom action and the better barrels and all the rest, yes, I was putting better barrels on the Weatherby, but as soon as I went to that custom action, my scores just jumped up. Yeah. So, you know, I was, say, around about, on average, around, say, the 200 score mark for my um, fly stuff. Yep. You know, I had a couple there where I did score 250s and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as I got my custom action, pretty much I was always over that 200 score. Yeah. Um, you know, and I did get high scores, you know. I've, I've been shot some now up in the 260s. Um, and and what, are you, what are you attributing that to? Is that just the consistency in the tolerances of that action? Pretty much, yeah. Um, just the whole setup, like, Going from, say, a chassis-type set, which I did have bag riders on it and all sorts of stuff from uh, XLR Industries, um, so it had all the right stuff on it. Um, yeah, it just come down to um, just all those better components in it, I reckon. Um, you know, like even your trigger. Um, yeah, I put rifle basics triggers in and I you know, got them as light as I could get them and um, had the, you know, I was running Krieger barrels and all the rest of it, same mm. as what I'm running now. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just as well as good as it did, it, it just I don't know. Just going to that custom one, having the proper stocks, the actions that have basically got the same tolerance out of everything out of them. Um, yeah, they're just made for that yeah. little bit extra type stuff. So, yeah. And I bet yeah. you, I bet your gunsmith's happy. You know, if he's spinning barrels on and off, I'm sure he prefers doing that for on the custom action than trying to, you know match something up with something that might not oh, be as to spec. That's right. You know, you look at your Stolly Pandas that I've got here almost, your Stolly, they've all got the same headspace. Yeah, they're right. all the same. So I can just go to my gunsmith, here's my Rima, can you build me a barrel for this? And he can just go, yep, no worries. And if I've got another Stolly action, I could just screw that off and screw it back on and, and be right back in there. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's just what it is. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, but saying that, you know, your factory stuff, um, you can get that to work great. Um, you know, like that Weatherby, that did me great. I learned a lot off it. And if you're just starting, keep it that way and keep the cost down till you get that little bit extra, you know, you want to go a bit further. 
and you can save up a bit extra money for it and then go that step further. Yeah. Um, you don't have to buy the latest and greatest straight away. You've got to learn first before you, you know, same thing. You've got to crawl before you can walk. Yeah. Um, and that's where even my game, I've seen a lot of blokes go out and I say, just use what you've got. Just go straight 6BR, get used to everything, you know, reading the wind, loading, load testing, um, you know, reloading. But then they go, oh, but I'm not winning. So they try and go out there and buy all this more expensive stuff. Yeah. Try all these different calibers, and it's like, well, he, you haven't got down pat the basics yet, and you're trying to jump in and, you know, yeah. overstep your mark. So, yeah, it's sort of, you know, crawl before you can walk. You yeah. know, um, if you've got there and you've like, yeah, I just need that little bit extra now. I know what I'm doing. Um, well, we're still all learning, no matter what. But um, yeah, once you've done all that, you've done your hard yards. I reckon then jump up to something a bit bigger. You know, spend yeah. your spend that bit extra money. You know, where you want to go. It all depends what you want to get out of shooting. If it's just for fun and all the rest and you're having a good time, just stick with the factory stuff and put better barrels on it and better triggers and, you know, better stocks and all that sort of stuff and go from there. Yeah. I like that, man. I like what you said just then about we're all still learning. Like, you know, you've just shot an absolute incredible score. You're sort of holding, you know, a record at the moment, but you're still open to, like you said, you're open to learning, you're open to different ideas that are outside what you're currently doing. And that's what I'm noticing across anyone in any discipline that's good at what they do. The people at the top are open and willing to adapt to things that are changing or try other things. Like you said, you try so many different things. Whereas these people that get stuck in, this is what works for me and that therefore must be the only way of doing it. There's no progression. There's no progression in that attitude. No, that's it. Um, Yeah, I've got a couple of mates that they bag me because, you know, they go, oh, you should be doing it this way, you should be doing it that way. And it's like, well, you got your way, I've got my way. My way, I'm happy with how it works. Mm. Um, but I won't knock his way. I will still try their way and make my own mind up. Um, that's the only way you can sort of do things. Yeah, like I said, yeah, I like to try things. Um, I got an EC tuner because no one at our club shoots them. But I thought, no, I might try a tuner just because see how they go. Um, and so far, I'm quite happy with it. Um, I've got them on a couple of barrels now. Um, and like I said, well, not annealing cases, this one, I thought, well, give it a go. Yeah. You know, the only way you're going to find things out is if you give them a go. Yeah. Um, and don't, you know, you can't bag anyone because their way is different to yours. Um, I don't agree with some people what they say, um, but that's them. They've either got to learn that, you know, they might be right, but, mm-hmm. and then I've got to learn that, well, well, looks like I was wrong. Um, or they will hopefully one day realise that oh, well, there is another way to do things. So that's cool, man. What would you say is one of your biggest um, lessons you've learned um, with your reloading game, or one of the hottest tips that you've kind of just something that one day maybe stuck with you where you went, "Bang, that's awesome! That's that's how I'm going to do that process from now on." Is there been anything like that? Maybe it was through an accident where something happened and you went, "Oh." That's that's a that's a cool part of the process. What what for you would be one of the the biggest things in that area? Probably the biggest thing in one of my is cry once. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of money that I've wasted doing other stuff and then having to upgrade it later because I was, you know, no, I'm not going to spend that much money on something like that. Um, and then in the end, you end up buying that. You just lose money all the time. That's probably one of the biggest things. Cry once. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, just keep an open mind. Listen to people. Um, do a bit of reading too. Don't be afraid to jump on a 
website or pick up a book and, you know, you know, applied ballistics from Brian Lutz and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, these guys have got a lot of great information, um, you know, even Eric Cortina and stuff like that on YouTube and mm-hmm. um, bits and pieces like that. Yeah. Some people don't agree with them, but that's fine. You don't have to agree with them either, but they do have some really good information at times. Yeah, you're so. deepening your knowledge base. You're deepening your you know your grasp of the concepts of what's happening when you you know when you're trying to make a round, and then that can only help really. Oh, that's for sure. So and yeah, like I said, give things a try for yourself. Don't just bag it and not try it. Um, you know, just go from there. Yeah, awesome, man. Have you got any uh, sponsors or anyone that really helps you out that you'd love to give a shout out to while we're while we're still on the podcast? I uh, don't really have any sponsors because I just do this for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dave Kerr, I'm a gunsmith down here in Perth and that. Um, he's been brilliant. Um, you know, he's always helped me out and um, any questions I've got, you know, he's always quite willing to help out and he's got a wealth of knowledge with all his shooting over the years. But, um, no, nah, just other than that, just all the guys in the fly shoots and stuff like that over east. Um, just a great bunch of blokes, great knowledge um, and stuff like that. So, but like I said, I wouldn't mind you coming over and doing a bit of PRS with you guys at one stage. Mate, so. that'd be that'd be awesome. I've always I haven't spent any time in WA. I've travelled a lot around Australia and WA. I haven't done any, so it's on the list as far as a tourist destination goes for a bit of a holiday. So if I do, I'll make sure I throw guns in and uh, come hang out with you guys and shoot some fly. So, oh yeah, for sure. Hey, come borrow mine if you want to. Oh. Um, mate, I wouldn't do it justice. <laughs> oh no, that doesn't matter. That's the whole thing. Like, I started. <laughs> I started the same thing. I started with my two four three Weatherby Vanguard. You know, I was lucky to hit the paper. You know, you got a what's it, about six hundred high by four forty wide, something like that. Um, that's a good thing about fly shoot. You don't need to hit the scoring section to go actually get a score. Yeah, if you could put a nice group off on the paper and you still get a score for a group. Yeah. So you get a score for what you hit plus a group size. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, when I first started, I was lucky to hit the paper, you know, and that was at 400. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just over the years, you pick things up, you learn how to read wind and shoot a bit better and your fundamentals and all the rest of it, and you just got to get better over the years. Yeah. So, And the guys give you a hand, so, you know, bunch of good blokes. That's awesome, man. Hey, dude, we'll we'll wrap the podcast up, but then uh, just stay on the line for a second. And I'll have a quick wrap up chat with you. But thanks so much for coming on, dude. I really appreciate it. It's a, a new aspect of shooting, the the fly shooting thing that caught my attention, and uh, seeing what you guys are doing is 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 pretty cool. So I really appreciate you getting on and having a chat about it. No, thanks yourself to um yeah giving the opportunity. I um never thought I'd be doing anything like this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, something new for me too. But um. As you can probably tell, I like a bit of a chat. So, yeah. <laughs> no, don't worry, mate. I'm probably going to harass you plenty more times. You'll be like, "Damn it, I shouldn't have given this bloke my number." <laughs> nah, that's all right. We'll um, I will catch up. No doubt. So, Too easy, we'll mate. Go. Sweet. Thank you for listening to the From the Bench podcast presented by Projectile Warehouse. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel and also follow all of our social medias for updates and upcoming episodes. We hope you're enjoying the journey of reloading as much as we are and we'll catch you on the next episode.